I didn't know that my higher power was really going to give me the vehicle, the, that a vehicle was going to be the vehicle to come to them because they wouldn't come otherwise because they don't want to deal with things. And that's what happened to me. I didn't want to deal with it. And I certainly couldn't tell anyone because I'm supposed to be perfect. That was Anna Sabatino, life coach and founder of CS Driving School, and this is the Running On Ohm podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to share with all of you about a November giveaway to tell you about, where you can win a Wazelle outfit. So what's even Wazelle, you ask? Well, it's a women's running apparel company that does so much more than just make women's running clothing. It's a community for women runners around the world of all levels to connect, share, and support one another in their lives. You'll be hard-pressed to find a day when I don't have Wazelle on. Their clothing is not only the cutting edge of running technology, but it's also beautiful and functional for yoga, any athletic activity, or can be worn just in everyday life. If you want to win a Wazelle outfit, it's actually really simple. All you have to do is leave the Running On Ohm podcast or review on iTunes, send a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com or tweet it to at runningonohm. The giveaway ends November 30th and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by December 2nd, 2015. Now, on to our show. Hey everyone, if this is your first time tuning into Running on Ohm, welcome. And if this is your 160th time, welcome back. Running on Ohm is more than just a podcast about running and yoga. It's conversations with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body connection through different mediums. From actors, meditators, musicians, authors, entrepreneurs, Olympic gold medalists, chefs to surfers, I believe that the stories of the people that I bring on for all of you every week can change your life. They've changed my life. And today's conversation is with Anna Sabatino, the woman who taught me how to drive. So some of you may not know this, but I only recently got my license so that I could move across the country to Bend, Oregon, where I'm recording this intro right now. Growing up in the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, I've always chosen to ride my bike and walk everywhere. And although I could drive, I knew I needed to refine my skills for the driving test, and a family friend told me about Anna Sabatino, the founder of CS Driving School. So the first lesson we had it was totally beyond teaching me how to drive. As a life coach, Anna imparted wisdom on everything from family finances to relationships. Anna has a way of using driving as a vehicle to teach you life lessons. Anna's story is a really interesting one. In her youth, she experienced some deep trauma that she buried until she was a mother of three children and wanting a career move from corporate America. She pretty much on a whim attended a retreat on empowerment led by two life coaches that changed her life, opened her up to her own healing, and set her down the path of becoming a life coach. As Anna will share with all of you guys, she's passionate about youth and empowering teenagers. However, as a life coach, she wasn't able to get any teenage clients to come into her office. But then, one day on a run, yes, Anna's a marathoner too, pretty amazing, right? She ran by a local driving school that was looking for a teacher. And it was one of those moments, one of those messages. Anna could empower teenagers and do her coaching when they were behind the wheel. Now, Anna has an extremely successful driving school in Massachusetts called CS Driving School and is teaching students of all ages to listen to the messages in our lives. This conversation is not just about the nitty gritties of driving. Actually, we don't even cover that. It's about how you can listen to the messages in your lives, how to know what's your passion, what is your path, and what does it take to overcome challenge because you believe in something. Be prepared to be inspired by Anna's wisdom and stories. Thank you all for listening to the intro. Thank you for choosing to support Running on Ohm. Thank you for reaching out to me on social media. I always love to hear from all of you. And let's dig in together to today's conversation with Anna Sabatino. It's anything just, goes. Anything goes. Good. I mean, I've had people cry in the podcast. 
people swear. I mean, you can do I don't whatever. Swear, so that's one thing I don't do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good. Keeping it God clean. Said, don't swear. Okay. I say suck. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a- maybe shit every once in a while, but we're all no human. F, no f bombs. I don't like the f bombs. Me neither. Do you think that would if you were to if you were to say an f bomb in a driving test? You think someone would give you an automatic failure? Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Have you ever seen it happen? Nope. No. No. That's no CS. No common sense. I know. So let's go back in time. When when did you start to embark on the spiritual path? It was September of two thousand four. And I was always religious, but it was never spiritual. So what happened was when I was working in my 30-year career, which I started when I was 18 years old, my former boss, I was with him for 30 years in a sales agency representing New Balance Athletic Shoe here in Boston. I didn't know that you were a New Balance. Okay. So I wasn't at the corporate office, but I was at a sales agency and we represented New Balance. Yeah. And so we had sales reps that would sell their product in different states around the eastern uh, seaboard here, all around the East Coast. And then it ended up just being um, three states as we continued to grow and did some volume. We just got down to like three states. So we were in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, but we still kept our offices in Boston. So as we just, we were, I was the vice president of administration. My boss was the president. And then we had about, you know, 15 to 18 sales reps in the different areas of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, selling their um, selling the product. So it started in 1979. We started with them. And then in the year 2000, my former boss gave me a five-year notice that he was going to be closing down the business and retiring from that part of the business. Like he was going to, he was closing down the sales agency. So I had a five-year notice. That's a long time out. What do I do now? Let me figure it out. So while I was trying to figure it out, I did a couple, I'm a runner. So I decided that I was, let me run a marathon. So I decided to run the New York marathon with a, a girlfriend of mine. So while we were training, I said, well, if I'm going to do this, cause at that point I was in my mid forties, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So I got like everything. I got a personal trainer. I got my, um, a massage therapist. Uh, my chiropractor, because I do have some chronic back problems. So I'm like, all right, let me go see my chiropractor. I changed my eating habits, my drinking habits, you know, every everything. I just said, let me just commit 100% to making sure I finished. Now, I certainly wasn't planning on beating the Kenyans who run five-minute miles consistently for 26.2 miles. It's insane. I was just wanted to finish. So as I was getting myself ready and went to go see my massage therapist, and I would go like every two to three weeks. I brought up to her that I was going to be leaving this 30-year career. What am I going to do? All I knew is that I didn't want to go back into a corporate America nine-to-five job. That's the only thing I knew because New Balance actually had had offered some jobs for me to go work over transition and work for the corporate office there, the structure. But I, I, something inside of me, I just felt like I didn't want to do that. 
but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So Bonnie, my holistic massage therapist, she was the messenger. Why don't you go to this place called the Empowerment Institute? It's in Rhinebeck, New York, which is about three and a half hours from here. Where Omega is. And that at Omega. She said they're at a place called Omega, and they run these workshops that last like four days. You contact them. They do this interview over the phone, and then you see if it's a a good, if you feel like it's a place that you want to go, because it was a four-day commitment, and it was going to be over Labor Day weekend, 2004. I was already training for the marathon. We had already decided to run it. So I didn't have to call or go. So I called and I spoke. It's a husband and wife team, Gail Straub and David Gershon, husband and wife that are these life coaches in empowerment. So I spoke to them and they said, yeah, it sounds like this is would be a good fit for you to come in and just learn about yourself. So what they do is they, they go through the seven life areas, emotions, relationships, sexuality, work, money, the body, and spirituality. That is their program. So That's so... Work? Deep. Work? Okay. I'll come. I have to see what's going on with my career, right? So I'll go. So even, so I made the commitment. I think it cost me like $400 or something. And when I, they said, okay, when you get there, you can, you're going to stay in a cabin and we'll give you a roommate. She'll be there for you, you know, with you when you get there. Cause if you stay with someone, it was a little bit cheaper. So I'm like, all right. So I prepared myself to go and my husband and my kids, mom, where are you going? And I'm like, I don't know, but I have to go. And it, my older daughter was moving into her BU dorm as a freshman, Labor Day weekend. I just didn't even know exactly what I was doing, but something propelled me that I just needed to go do this thing that Bonnie had suggested that I do. So I drove three and a half hours and I get there. Now I'm training for the marathon, which the marathon was going to be November 7th, 2004. This is Labor Day weekend, 2004, September. And we had trained for six months. So this is like, I w- I'm in my fourth month of training for the marathon. So I get out, when I, you know, I get there, I get in, I go into my cabin. My roommate had not arrived yet. I guess she was coming, but I had to run an eight. I think that day was like an eight mile run because of this structured uh, training schedule that you get from when the new, especially for first time marathoners. We just go onto the website and they give you a little training schedule. So it was eight miles. So now I get myself all ready to go. Now Omega is this big open area, beautiful place. So I go to run and I'm looking around the area and I'm seeing all these people and they're in robes and they're chanting. I did not even know what chanting was. And I'm smelling all this incense. I guess it was better than smelling weed. And I am like, whoa, did she send me to a cult? I was judging. And it was horrible because I I don't judge anymore, but I used to judge. And I'm like, all right, well, don't get nervous. Just stay. You, you know, you're here now. Let's just make the best of it. So I finished my run. I came back. And Jill, my roommate, who was 10 years older than I was, I was 45 at the time, she came in. She says, 
you will, don't worry, because I, I expressed some concern. I'm like, geez, I was running. I see all these people. She goes, yeah, don't worry about it. She goes, I've been to so many of these workshops. You are going to enjoy it so much. And I'm here with you. <clears throat> so she basically held my hand throughout the time. She ended, So what her deal was, she was doing the same thing that I was trying to do. I was trying to figure different things out. And she's trying to figure out the next phase of her life and what she wanted to go on teaching. But I had no idea. I was going there to find out what I was going to do as a job because my 30-year career was ending, and I just had no idea. I also had signed up right before I left to go to Omega. I signed up for a college. I had my associates years before, but I never got my bachelor's, and it was always a dream. So I had signed up. And I was going to start that week, like when I came back, I was going to start like the new, it was like the end of September. So that was all set up to go to. I'm like, all right, let me go back and get my business degree. Let me run a marathon. Like all of a sudden I was deciding. So many things were shifting. Yeah. And I just didn't know exactly. So the four days as we're in there, now they give you a notebook and I'm in the corner writing all my stuff because they start with the emotions and the relationships and the sexuality, work, money, the body, spirituality. But I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. I'm just here about work. So when the emotions and the relationships and all this stuff, they were lecturing and then there was storytelling and there was different things, questions asked. They asked questions. And I'm writing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden I'm feeling like things that have happened in my past start to come up. Because one of the things they really suggest is that you just become honest, completely like honest with yourself, and just really getting the most out of the program by delving in and just going diving in, going deep. So I'm very committal, and I was like, okay, well, if I'm here and I paid the money, I might as well give it my all. So I started answering all these questions very honestly, and the things started getting a little bit uncomfortable now because it started bringing up things that happened to me when I was young. Like at 16 years old, I was almost murdered by one guy. I was almost raped by a different guy, still at 16 years old. I then became bulimic for two and a half years of my life, from like 18 to about 20 and a half, and never really dealt with any of that. It was just there, but I had buried it so long ago. It was th- Those were my secrets. And then I learned that you're only as sick as your secrets, but all these things like started coming up. But I wasn't going to share anything because I'm fine. Until I realized that I wasn't fine, my metaphor for myself was that I'm a beautiful mess. So we went through the program and they, you know, just the different life areas and there'd be breaks and there was about 43 of us in the class of which Jill was like my little... I, she to this day, I call her my earth mother. She just stayed right by my side and she just made me comfortable. And all these things started coming up and I'm like learning and I'm listening and I'm journaling and I'm answering questions and I'm discovering. I'm like, wow. All within four days of things that I've never uh, thought about for a long time, never, never, um, Never worked on, never. Well, no one had given you the space. It sounds like yeah, nothing to go like, deep into them. Well, I hid it and buried it a long time ago. To me, I had nailed the coffin so long ago. I think so many of us do that, it. and that's and so that's what. And I became a person, and I almost feel like based on what happened to me, I was a control freak, overthinker, extremist. 
you know, um, I was like very, um, like, uh, all the S words there. I was uh, selfish and, and just, oh, just everything that I, that I just was to cover all that hurt and pain. I just, just became an, like an outward mess and just never dealing with what happened inside. So it was only a beginning because at the end, when they, they go around and they ask, did you enjoy this program? And I'm like, enjoy it. I want to do what you do. I said to the life coaches, to the husband and wife, well, if you're serious about that, we actually have a certification program. We can certify you as a life coach to teach this empowerment program going through these seven life areas. And those life areas encapsulate all of life. That's all. Life is made up of those seven areas. And you could be good in some of those areas. Like when we came to the body, I had already worked through my bulimia from years before, and I was good with my body. I was at a good place. I was running a marathon, so I was in great shape. So I could just check that right off and, and make my affirmation, I love my body and honor it every day. So in that one, one part of it, of those seven life areas, I'm good. But I really wasn't good in the rest of them and never realized how much the money part of it was not good because of I, I was a spendthrift. I was always just using, that was what I, I would use to numb my pain as I would shop a lot with things I didn't really need. So I got myself into financial straits. And so I was, and I'm still digging myself out from that to this day, which, which I finally feel hope. So when they said that they could, um, when they could, uh, certify me. Okay. I'm in. Well, it took me about a year and a half. I came back and what you do is you, they give you a program and then you work with something called an affinity group where you just, uh, talk among yourselves. We had to set up uh, conference calls and then you had to do empowerment programs free of charge with a minimum of eight people. I was working on women. I decided to be, at the beginning that it was going to be women and especially women over 40. That was my initial beginning of who I was, that was going to be my demographic. Women over 40, because that's who I could relate to. Uh, and, and then I could just get them here and help them with their issues. That's what, how it started in my head. So I had my, my groups that I had to do to get certified were filled with women over 40. And they were great. They were very receptive. It was very life-changing. I mean, you follow a program. That's what we have. And uh, and then you go back to them. I had to go back a couple of times. And then you go back to finally get the certification that we did after a year and a half. And then I came back. And uh, as I came back, I was like, okay, let me set up everything. Let's start the business. And one of the girls in the affinity group, she actually was, Sarah was going to be like doing it with me, but she lived in New York. So it was going to be a little difficult to do, but we were going to try it. Let's set it up. <clears throat> she would come to Boston, would do one here, and then I'd reciprocate. She would set one up in New York and then we'd try it there. So then circumstances came up. She th taught uh, theater and she just got so busy doing a show. I started marketing you know, like a business, nothing was really happening. And then this is like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I had a dream with all these little teenagers, girls jumping on my bed in my dream. And I'm like, Oh, okay. 
I guess I have to empower teenagers because when you're empowered now, you, you know, you look at things a different way and you pay attention to signs, to messages, to things that you don't normally pay attention to. But what's interesting is it sounds like from what you've described about your story, 16 was a really pivotal year for you where you experienced a lot of yeah. trauma in your own life. Oh, yeah, good and point. There's, yeah. It's so clear to me that why you would want to go back and work with that age. Yeah, and I didn't know. I was going with women over 40. That's how much I knew. So when you, I'm thinking it, but there was a different plan that now I pay attention to being spiritually enlightened because during that four-day program, the spirituality is what really came forward full force. I was religious, but not spiritual because I was very, you know, into myself, selfish, um, just, you know, just things that really I wasn't proud of, materialistic, you know, all that cynical sometimes. So I said, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be working with teenagers. So then we, we I, told, I talked to Sarah. I go, Sarah, I, I had a dream. Okay, we got to switch to teenagers. Okay, so then I set up to market for teenagers. Now, ironically enough, now we're getting close to like the five-year mark. All this was going on through the years. I was still working. And so my former boss sold me a condo across the hall from where our offices are in Waltham to do my coaching business over there. So that was like a great thing. And I, we again, marketed for teenagers. Now this is in 2005, right? And then, right. Cause we, the last year of my 30 year career was just a part time just to close down the business. So I had the time to market, set up the business. So we marketed for teenagers and no teenagers, none showed up to get empowered. I couldn't reach that demographic at all. And looking back, I always say, well, why don't they come? Well, just like I thought I was fine, they all think they're fine. And my definition of a fine teenager is freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. There are my teenagers, but they don't come to get empowered because they're totally fine. So that wasn't working. So here's where it all changed. I'm being a runner. I was running by an auto school in Waltham where I live. It's where my kids went to driving school. I saw a guy out front that I knew. He was actually the one that trained me back in Brighton where I worked behind the desk at Joyce Auto School when I was like 15 years old till about 17. I was the girl that answered the phone for the driving school in Brighton, Massachusetts, all those years earlier, if I had known... Talk if, about coming full circle. Full circle. And had I known, it was something that could have been an amazing thing back then. But I didn't pay attention to any of that. And I wasn't empowered. Didn't know. But it's just funny. So anyway, he was the one that trained me. And he worked at this driving school in Waltham. Never stop when I'm running. Never. Neither do I. <laughs> Never. It was always a thing. I can't stop. I stopped because I saw him there. So something made me stop. The empowerment works. Hey, Glenn, how are you? What's going on? Good. Yeah, I'm here. I am working here. He goes, what's going on with you? I'm like, geez, I started, I opened a business empowering teenagers. Nobody shows up. Here's the messenger again. Teenagers, why don't you become a driving instructor? You can empower them while you teach them how to drive. <gasps> Genius. And I could have just said, oh, yeah, no, no, whatever, and just kept on going. 
He says, why don't you go inside right now? The boss is in there. I actually think they're looking for driving instructors. So I said, well, I'm all smelly and gross in my running stuff. I can't go in there. And he goes, oh, he doesn't care. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something. I went in there all smelly and gross. He actually hired me on the spot and asked me if I could start the next day to get trained. I'm like, ah, no, no, no. Because now, while because I got laid off, I just started the unemployment process because of all those years of working, I had unemployment racked up in my account. So I was like, okay, instead of stressing out, looking for something else, because I wasn't quite sure where I was going, I seemed to be hitting the walls. I decided I was going to collect unemployment for like 13 weeks or something. So I figured while I'm doing that, I says, well, I can't start tomorrow, but the training program, you don't get paid when you train. So I had to, in order to become a driving instructor, first of all, you have to take the complete driver ed program that I took when I was 16. And I took it in the classroom. So I said, yeah, I'll do that. But it's it's funny, if I, or maybe it's irony. If I had gone home to change and get all dollied up, I could have come back. He could have been gone. Who knows what would have happened? I just trusted the messenger. And showing up to as go you in are. And just go in just like that. And so I ended up getting, so I started the process of getting certified and I kind of let it go out a little bit like a couple of months, because I was saying, okay, let's see if this, because I, I wasn't quite sure what was happening. So I took the driver's ed course and it was like, so I was, it was appalling because I, there was like 45 kids in the teenagers in the class. I'm there. They all come in. They had, uh, you know, they had their hoodies on. They were listening to music while this guy sat up front, the instructor and read from the book, just read. And just took stopped to take a swig of his big Pepsi bottle and eat his bag of chips. And I'm looking around. Nobody was learning. Nobody was listening. It was like, I was like, wow. And, and it was very expensive. So all these parents or kids were paying. And they were to me, they were getting nothing out of it. So I was just like, wow, what's happening right here? I can't teach like this. So anyway, I went through the process of getting certified and I started teaching just in the classroom. I wasn't even quite sure I was going to I was going to go out in the road because I'm a control freak and I'm this and I'm that because even though you get empowered, we use the analogy of a garden in this program and we plant seeds. You know, seeds of empowerment, seeds of of learning, seeds of knowledge, see you know, all these seeds were being planted. And when you leave that 4-day program or a program I teach it over 6 weeks, you, those seeds that we're nurturing by talking about things that are hurtful, and we're watering the seeds, but the only, but where we get you to is a place is, is the bud is just that initial breakthrough through the, through the sand. I mean, through the soil and the dirt, that's where we take you. We take you to the bud and then it's up to when you leave, you have to water and do the work. And do the work, pull the weeds, you know, get rid of either the bad people that you're, you know, people who are not lifting you to a higher ground. You might have to really start to sit down and, and talk to people who have hurt you along the way, forgive, pull all those weeds. And then you bloom into this beautiful flower. It took me three years from the time that I got empowered in 2004 to bloom into this beautiful flower. So I, so back to when I was trying to learn, I wasn't ready to go out into a car 
I didn't think I could sit beside a teenager and have them drive me around because I was like, oh God, I'm such a control freak. I don't think that I'll be able to do that because it's still 2005. I just got empowered a year before. I was still budding, if you will. And so I didn't know. I'm like, oh, let me just start in the classroom. So I started in the classroom. And then as it turned out, they were short an instructor one day. They were either sick or something happened. And they asked me to sub behind the wheel. And they basically just threw me to the wolves. I'd never even trained with anyone back there. But that was what happens with your higher power. They, you're always being pushed out of your comfort zone. And so I went willingly, got lost everywhere. I wasn't even sure, but I still remember the first girl I had in a town in Weston, and she made it so easy. She wasn't that bad of a driver. She listened to me. She had had me in the classroom. So she was she already knew, comfortable with She you. was comfortable. She trusted me. I had my break on my right side. So I was like, okay, I can do this. And then it just got easier and easier. And then I, I said, oh, wow, this is great. I can do this too. As it turned out with that driving school, they did some things that were not, you know, good and legal, and they ended up being shut down. I had seen some of the writing on the wall, so I left right before everything came down and went to a driving school in Watertown, and it was run by a really, you know, tough woman there, and I wasn't quite excited after a while on how things were being run. But it's almost, and so then I went to another one in Needham. And in all those three places, those people were like not nice. They were not nice to others, to us. And all I kept thinking, because when you're empowered, you know the stuff. Okay, what am I to learn from this? And I swear my higher power put me there in those places. And I went from making a high six-figure income to going down to making like $15 an hour, working part-time because it's a part-time business because kids are in school. So I was only working after school and then on the weekend. So I was like, took such a um, back, you know, so I'm going backwards now. And I was getting treated not nicely by these people, even though I'm giving it my all. But it's the higher power just letting you go through this. They're just the tests. They're tests to learn to figure things out, to see what's happening, to understand the, the, how it, how the program worked, and and to get the experience. And so I stayed. So for five years, I was with one for two and a half, then one and a half, then one down. And then when I got to Needham, I said to a like the wheels just started turning. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm a life coach, and I was giving them life lessons from behind the wheel. And I'm thinking, oh, I got I need to write a book about this. So I started to entertain that book idea back when I was at Needham Driving School. And that was like in 2011. Yeah, it was 2011 because I left in 2012. Well, I gave my notice at the end of 2012 and then started the process here. But what happened was I said to I had a cousin of mine, uh, Karen, and she's a friend of mine. And who's my partner now? We had gone into a different endeavor of network marketing together, which and it didn't work out. That went down. So I'm like, all right, what is happening? Like all these things started happening because I think the higher power just wanted me to clear out all this stuff because this was waiting here, and I just needed to trust it 100%, which I was heading in that way. And I said to my to Karen, 
we need to start our own driving school. We just didn't like the way things were done and there were a lot of complaints and the kids would get with me and they'd complain about this and that, I'm not learning. I said, oh man, we got to just like, okay. So we decided, you know, at first she said, no, no, I don't think it's going to be something. And then out of the blue one day, I don't know, because I couldn't do it alone. I probably could, but I just didn't want to, and, and look in, in retro, in, in, you know, in retrospect now I can see that it would have been tough because I worked so much already, but it's so nice to have someone to, to run things by and share things with. It was like, it's great. And we get along great. And it's, and it's awesome. So I says, so finally in October of 2012, we decided to start the process. It would have been easier working for the CIA than to open up a driving school. Every single thing imaginable went wrong. Everything. We try to find locations here. They wouldn't give it to us, or it was astronomical uh, rent. We tried in here and there. And then finally, one day, my former boss says, why don't you move in here? Because now he's clearing out. And he decided that he was going to do something a little bit different, still associated with New Balance, but not a sales agency. They were helping him do something else. He had asked me to go with him doing that, but I just didn't want to do that. And it was retail. I didn't want to get into that. He goes, why don't you take over this place? Now, where our location is in Waltham, it's kind of off a little bit the beaten path, just a little bit off the main street. So we had read the contracts for the driving school, um, the things that were needed, qualifications, and it said that it had to that the driving school had to be like on a main street. So we thought that that wasn't going to go into work. So rather than us deciding, we said, okay, why don't we see if this works? So anyway, they, the, the registry um, person that comes out to check out the locations and everything, he actually said that that was a good location. The only problem was with the handicapped bathrooms that were already in the building, they were not up to code, safety code, because the building was built like in 1983. So we had to pay thousands of dollars, and it was off about this much. But we had to shift For everything. inches. Inches for the two people that were going to be using the handicapped bathrooms. And it would probably just be for some parents who would come into the parent classes because if kids are handicapped, they certainly can't drive, get behind the wheel and drive. You know what I'm saying? But those are the regulations. So we eat this and that. And then women in business, two women, we heard that women in business are the minorities. Okay, so we'll go to the Small Business Association and we'll get like a little loan for the minorities. Not even a dime. No one would give us any money. The banks wouldn't give us any money because remember my little credit card issue? When I switched jobs, I had to rely on credit cards a lot because I didn't have a job and I wasn't making that much. I had kids in college and all of these things. I could have let all of that stir in me and get me all panicky. But because I'm an empowered woman, okay, God, you know what, you know, my higher power, you want me to do this. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. My husband thought I was crazy. What's going on? Why don't you go work for New Balance? We're like dying here. I'm like, no, it's going to be okay. But, and then when I went to those, all those driving schools, they were mean and bad and it was not good. And I was like, what's happening? But as I understand, you know, as I know, and, and that's what I teach a lot, when you're ready to do your breakthrough, the enemy will always come in and try to take you down. Oh, I love the that idea. The enemy will yeah. come because you're getting close 
to break to shining yeah and to breaking through because every nobody would give us anything so we hawked more credit cards karen went into we went into our 401ks we had to go into the 401ks i was like oh god and that was all you know what i mean just to start this whole thing up because we needed to buy vehicles we needed to pay the rent we needed to hire people we needed to pay insurances for the cars and and we didn't really have anything we started out our first class had four kids in it and so and we, and, you know, we were just like, okay, well, let's just keep going. Now, my boss, given that my former boss, letting us, we rented from him, but then he gave us uh, an option to buy. So it was like a rental with the option to buy the two locations, of which across the hall is where my coaching business was. So everything is in one little happy place. So it was like always, it started to like fall into place. So that was in October. We're just doing the groundwork. We're not even sure that we're getting approved. And then as it turned out, I gave a notice. I gave uh, a month's notice at the former school that I was at. And, um, and you know, he didn't like that I was leaving. And, and I had given him my best year and a half of my life. And then he turned on me because he was looking through some uh, internet stuff and came upon CS Driving School and looking at our website it sh it was our fault. It shouldn't have been live. We were still working on it, but we don't re we didn't reinvent the wheel. We were just taking different ideas from different driving school websites. Why reinvent the wheel when everybody when we're all trying to do the same thing? So and it wasn't even me. It was my partner. We she had gone through some things and we were making our website and some of the things were what was on his website because they're like, oh, that sounds good. Let's just and it wasn't copyrighted or anything. So we were just. He found that out and then came up to my house, stormed at my house and, and, and yelled at me and took the car and acted like really like not nice up there at the end when I, you know, and that was very disturbing to me. So had I not been an empowered soul, that would have been really hard for me, but it just showed me that that's the enemy again, just trying to come in. So I let that, so my, so it, and it happened on Valentine's day, 2013 and I was going to be there till March, and he let me go that day, even though I'd given him a month's notice because I didn't want to leave my kids out there high and dry because, you know, I'm the fun one, I say. So we were having fun with the kids. So he must have just, that's what he felt like he needed to do. So I, you know, I was strong enough. I just, you know, just, I prayed on it and meditated on it, was able to release it. In the registry on March 15, 2013, gave us the the certificate we got we got the certificate everything came through and that we started with like four kids in the class for our first class in, on in April 2013 and during that class it was the marathon bombing happened in the last two days of that class we couldn't even finish it because they closed down I think all of Massachusetts and the kids couldn't get to the driver's ed. So it was like, wow, our first class we'll never forget because that's when that happened. We had to make up some of those classes. And then one year later, that same class, we filled it up with 42 kids, which is the max that's be, that's held in that classroom at, at our, our location in Waltham. Just one year later. So and it started to just like go, go, go. And now two and a half years, we just celebrated two and a half years on September 15th. We have 10 cars. We have like 18 instructors. And the instructors are like part-time. A lot of them have other jobs because it's a part-time business because kids are in school. We have six locations, four high schools, and we have our office in 
you know, our, our classroom in Waltham and our classroom in Natick. We ended up opening up a Natick classroom to take the overflow from the Natick classroom that we have at Natick High when that um, overflows, we get it over there. And when Lexington High School, when that overflows, they come over here to our Waltham. And then we just have like the different towns and we cover about 12 different towns that we just have territories in that this that the instructors will travel into and we have like five girls in the office you know five office staff karen she does the operations you know she kind of heads over the the big part of it laura my daughter also does the operation within the yeah. office and things and then she has some assistants in there four assistants and then I teach in the classroom, and I teach behind the wheel, and I also do the bookkeeping for the company, for this driving school, and having a ball, just having a ball, and all because that guy said to me, why don't you become a driving instructor? On that run. You can yeah. empower them while you teach them how to drive. He was my messenger. And, there's, and then I also <clears throat> excuse me, teach for the National Safety Council. And what that program is, it's a national program, that helps to save lives, <clears throat> and, excuse me, and they work with the Registry of Motor Vehicles, that any driver who breaks the driving laws and has three surchargeable events in a two-year period, they have to take a, a driver retraining class for eight and a half hours, and it's now about $135, or their license will get suspended. They have 90 days to take that program. When I was placing an ad because of our new location in Waltham, where, where I was, um, I'm Catholic Christian, so I was at, at, at my church in my bulletin because I also teach religious ed to the 10th grade classes. I, had, I was placing an ad in the bulletin. And when I called this woman who I was dealing with, she said on the other end of the line, you sound like you have a personality. You should teach for the National Safety Council. It's a part, we have part-time business. I'm just, you know, I'm one of the instructors. I'm like, I never even heard of it. And that's good that I didn't hear of it. That meant that I didn't have any infractions with the driving laws. So I was like, okay, what is it? And she told me what that was. She goes, you have to fill in an application, send everything in, get quarried. And you can teach like once or twice a month or however the schedule is. So I did. I sent it in. <clears throat> I got certified to do that. I had to take four or five classes, you know, sitting in with other teachers for that. And also I had to teach. I do that twice a month. And then, it, and then I asked them one day that I have a classroom here in Waltham. Would you consider using my classroom to teach the program? Because they, we, I was going to hotels. They would rent out these hotels. And so they said, yeah, we can rent, we can rent from you. So they ended up renting from, from us. The only thing they told me is that it was going to be temporary till they found different locations because they didn't want to stay always renting from hotels. So they rented for like two and a half years from me. Plus I got paid to teach the program. And just at the end of August, we severed our relationship because they opened up another location but that was like the perfect timing. Now we use the classroom to do our classes over two weekends instead of just one. So the kids who take the classroom portion of driver's ed can finish quicker. They, they just go over two weekends 
and then one other one because they need five class. They need a 30 hour class. So we do six hours a day and we use two weekends plus an additional weekend or an additional holiday if that works out. It's incredible how so many things, as you said, have fallen into place for you. And I want to return back to your youth a little bit. And when you were 16 and some of the traumatic stuff happened Mm. for you, at that point in your life, you are now such a teacher to youth. But who was like, who were teachers? Who were guiding forces to you in your youth? Did you have anyone? No, I didn't have anyone. And that's what I say in the classroom, Julia. I'm always saying to these kids, look it, you don't even know how lucky you all got to get a life coach, number one, to teach you driver's ed. And number two, someone with my experiences. And I say, I wish that I had someone like me teaching me whatever the, I didn't know the vehicle was going to be a vehicle. Teaching you driver's ed like this, I would have saved myself so much pain. I had no one to turn to. My parents were from Italy. You know, they came, they immigrated, they immigrated from Italy. They had no, they didn't even really speak the language. So, and I could never tell them anything because in our culture, if you come home and say something, like you're the one who's wrong. It was just the way they couldn't deal with anything. So they would always just yell at me. So not only could I not say anything, even the slightest thing was my fault or a big deal. I, I remember asking for braces and I got a slap across my face. Go to your room. You don't need braces. I got slapped. So then I'll tell the classroom, okay, so I have three children. What do you think all three of my kids got? Braces. And even Laura, mom, I don't need braces. I go, yes, you do. (laughs) You do. Because I never could get them. So that's how I grew up. It was like everything was a secret. But I was straight A's, though. <clears throat> well, you were straight A's, so they didn't think anything was wrong. Well, you, it sounds like you were so high functioning that, you know, people didn't realize that you were dealing with pain. And mm-hmm. I imagine the bulimia was a really painful time. How did you get yourself out of that? It's an, another unbelievable, crazy story. And I was like binging and purging up to seven times a day for two and a half years and nobody knew. So this is like unreal. I, at, Everybody's different when you have bulimia, so it reacts differently. But nothing was really happening to me. I didn't see anything going with my teeth, my hair, or anything. But after those the two and a half years, Mark, all of a sudden, I'm feeling my face, and I feel like all these little white hairs like coming out of my face, probably from all the weight loss or whatever. My body's now probably just trying to keep it warm by growing hair. I don't know. I was getting so freaked out. When I felt that, it wasn't a dream. I had a nightmare. Now, it sounds funny probably now that I woke up with a Santa Claus beard. Because like this white, do you know that day, that day after that nightmare, I stopped cold turkey. That is unheard of after two and a half years of doing that to myself and never did it again. So that was from 18 to... But how do you heal the pain of the body? I mean, you can stop the action. I stopped the action. the pain is still there. The pain was there, but I I hit it so well that when I was 45 years old, it started coming up. I never cried so much in that weekend. I thought I was going to find a job with my, you know, find out like a career change or shift. 
I had no idea that I was going to be, all this stuff was happening. That's why these people, when they come into the National Safety Council driving courses and they come to driver's ed, I give them life lessons. Yeah. I'm like their messenger. And I was, and, and so, you know, we, we get to the program, we do everything we need to do, but in the middle of it all, I'll either tell a story or I'll say, look at, this is what's going on. And I had one gentleman, oh, he was over 70, come up with tears in his eyes in one of the, one of the National Safety Council classes. He come up, he goes, you know, I came here today. I was so nervous I because they're older. They didn't know I didn't do anything wrong. He goes, you changed my life today. And I didn't really, all I was just doing is just telling a couple of stories. We stuck to the curriculum and then just gave them a couple of ideas, you know, things that we talked about along the way on what makes them do what they do. Because we're basically all good people who have just lost, we lose our way. We lose our center. We just lose it. And so nobody's there. I go, I have the guts to help bring, bring it back. Just bring it back. Same with these teenagers. These teens, the number two, and it's moving, I think homicide is moving into the before them, but the number two cause of death for a long time was suicide among teenagers after car accidents. So here I am. So I didn't know that my higher power was really going to give me the vehicle, the, that a vehicle was going to be the vehicle to come to them because they wouldn't come otherwise because they don't want to deal with things. And that's what happened to me. I didn't want to deal with it. And I certainly couldn't tell anyone because I'm perfect. I'm perfect and I'm supposed to be perfect at home, in school, with my friends. The mother, yeah. Yeah, you know, but even when I was 16. Totally. So the only thing I could do is just release it through that. And it wasn't obviously making me feel any better because I would feel awful. I was very isolated. I didn't have any friends. It was my choice. I didn't want anyone to know my secret. I was working out six hours a day. I remember Jane Fonda had a workout um, back in the 80s. She did this workout. I would do the Jane Fonda workout. First, I'd go for a run. I was always a morning runner, 6 o'clock. Then I would do my Jane Fonda workout. And then I was a racquetball player for 10 years. So I would go, and if I didn't do all those three things, like every day, I, I thought I was going to like either gain a million pounds or that something was going to happen. And I was like, I couldn't believe how I was torturing myself. And it's not like it wasn't a fat thing. It was a perfection thing. And obviously I found out in my workshop, it was a shame thing. I was trying to get rid of that shame of what those kids did to me. Those two guys, one of whom was a judge's son. What was I going to do? I couldn't say anything. And the other one happened to be on angel dust and I didn't know. Wow. So it was all these things that were uncovered. And how about this? Now, I go to Bible study on Tuesday mornings in, in uh, Lexington because I'm a religious ed teacher. So I just like to go to Bible study to help me teach them better. This year, I'm taking a sabbatical with the, with the I've been doing it for six years, but I took a sabbatical on the, on the um, teaching the kids religion because uh, I'm just, you know, so busy with the drive, the driving school with the road tests and stuff. I was kind of burning myself out a little bit and I wanted to finish my book. So I was like, but so I found a girl, there was a girl, another mother who's going to do it this year because her son is in the class. So it worked out great. So while I was, um, you know, so with the teaching and I can't remember what I was just going with, with this. Was, well, we were talking about the Bible study and oh, yeah, Tuesday so, morning. Okay, so two, thank you. So Tuesday morning, so I go to Bible study. Now, this is my third year here. So last year, okay, so there's 200 women that come into this room. 
For Tuesday morning Bible Tuesday study. Tuesday morning, that we go into a room first, and there's a um, the pastor will speak to all, all of us, and then they break they break out into uh, ten different groups, no twenty different groups with ten women in those groups, and they assign the groups, you know, based on the knowledge that you have of the Bible and all this. So last year, in my group, out of two hundred women. Who comes into my group? The wife of the kid that almost murdered me when I was 16 years old. So now the old me would have said, your husband. Because we're all from the same town. Well, I was from Brighton. They're from Austin. So it was the same. He married a girl also from our area. Now I could have said, oh, your husband and what he did to me. It was at that moment that I was able to forgive him through her for what happened to me when I was 16 years old. That just gave me goosebumps. And I was like, wow, thank you. What are the odds of out of all those women? Well, and probably your presence for her was actually healing as well. Even if she didn't know the story, obviously I'm sure she doesn't know the story. Yeah, she doesn't know, sure. Because you are such an embodiment of like women confidence and female empowerment and radiance. And I imagine to be married to someone like that would be pretty abusive. Mm. So I think like your presence probably was healing for her too in wow. a different way. Yeah. And I'm sure he was fine because after, after he cleaned himself up and stuff and he's, he actually, I mean, they live here in Belmont. That's funny. crazy. How? But, what, but the chances of that. Yes. How the, It's just amazing how the higher power will work. So yeah, we've been talking a lot about kind of the higher power, your relationship to religion and spirituality. And yeah. as someone who, a lot of these words make sense to me because yeah. I feel very similar to you in touch with both religion and spirituality. But what do you see as the difference between the two? And what do you mean by you found spirituality after religion? Well, because I think religion is so structured and it's so traditional and it's like you it's like you have to go to a church and you have to receive holy communion and you have to you know just really like stick to the whole bible thing i think it's just more structured spirituality is not like it doesn't have to be god it could be whatever you name it it could be the one the source the universe angels allah buddha nature. god nature it doesn't matter what you name it so you can share it with the world because when you speak religion a lot of times you'll just get you know okay stop because people don't really want to hear that because of their own hurts hurts habits and hangups that's what everyone has and they will blame god or whoever you know, and they you know, because they were they grew up with this structured religion, and that you know, a lot of them will blame it on that. That well, if there was a God, why did I lose my leg, and why did my little baby die? So they they see they they use that as someone to blame. Spirituality just takes you someplace else where you can really you can talk about it, and you can believe in it because the higher power that. You, I strongly believe that you need something supernatural that's bigger than us to help us in this world. The natural world is so tough to deal with. So, I'm, And I say to these teenagers, I say to the classes, I'm living in the same world you're living in. Why am I choosing to focus on the good stuff? 
instead of the bad stuff. The bad stuff will always be there. But when you're spiritually enlightened, you get conditioned to focus more on all the good things because we're conditioned with bad stuff because our parents, grandparents, they didn't know any better. I mean, our grandparents, it was all about survival. Yeah, I mean, all my nothing. grandparents grew up on farms. That's it, survival. My my grandmother came here from Italy with like 50 cents in her pocket. Um, yeah. My father made $50 a week with four kids when he first came here. So it's like we, our generation and your generation, you know, it's like it's we're beyond survival. We're now actually about empowering. Yeah, because I just feel like now we're in touch with that. And nobody talked about, I mean, did you ever come home? I never came home and was asked how my emotional self was. They didn't even know what that meant. And I say to the parents also, I also have a, uh, an audience with the parent classes because they have to take a two-hour parent class. It's, uh, it's uh, mandated uh, state law for anyone that's under 18 that they have to take a parent class once every five years. If they have older siblings, they don't have to come. But most of them are new when they come. And I say to the parents right in there, I said, how many of you ever came home and was asked how your emotional self was? They all start, they start laughing. I go, well, I'm going to ask you, ask your children every once in a while, how is your emotional self? And they are going to think that you are O-D-D, odd, a weirdo. But they're going to lay their head down on that pillow that night and they are going to say, wow, they asked me how my emotional self was. That's pretty cool. But they're not going to tell you because that generation is so conditioned to be rebellious, to be mean, to be standoffish, to be defiant. They bought into the teenage madness. I'm trying to do my part in changing the way that these kids think. Yes. And, and that's what even, I do in the classroom. In a 30-hour classroom, I teach them how to treat their parents, how to treat themselves, how to treat others. It's amazing. I do all that. And now I'm writing a book about that. Yeah. It's called Drive Life Lessons from Behind the Wheel. And are you going to incorporate a bit of your own memoir into the book? I think so. I think I would like to do that. I'm still in the stages of working with my own life coach, who she has edited her own uh, book and she's helping me, so I'm going to have her help me do that. One of the lessons that you've spoken a lot with me in our driving lessons is the believing is seeing. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like that's a lesson that I imagine will be in the book because it's Absolutely. something that you, you often say to me. What do, what do you mean by that statement? So in other words, so many people, if they see it, then they can believe it. Now, just in, in, as an example with driving, even if we're driving down the road and I say, okay, we're going to take the next right turn. My students, they will not even think about turning until they actually see the road that they're going to turn on. Oh, oh, there's the, oh, I don't see. Okay. Oh, I see it. Oh, okay. Now I can turn. Believing in seeing is they're trusting me and the universe that there really is a road coming up and I'm not bringing them down a ditch that's going to go into the sea or, the, or down the road someplace. So in other words, trusting the universe that, okay, there's going to be a right turn. I'm all ready for it. 
things like that. So it's like to believe that they're going to be these great little drivers, even though they've never sat behind a wheel before. You have to believe it and then it'll, it'll happen. It's such a, a beautiful thing, but I have to make that shift because people, and not just the teenagers, a lot of the drivers, well, I've never done it before. So A, I'm supposed to be bad at it. Two, it's terrifying. And when I, then we delve into it, what are you afraid of? Well, I might hit someone. Well, the only way you're going to hit someone is if you don't pay attention, but we're going to pay attention. Now, I have a break here, so you should trust that. And if you're going too slow, too slowly, you're the one that's going to, that's going to cause the accident because they're going to hit you because you're going too slowly. So here you are being afraid by being overly cautious or overthinking or being a control freak, you know, like, where am I going? Holding onto the wheel too tight. You're not believing that you have this ability to become, or this potential to become a great driver. And releasing the control. It's releasing control. It's trusting the universe. It's trusting your your um, instructor. It's It's just, you know, having that shift in your brain. And that's what I'm, that's why I'm writing the book. It's almost a precursor to, to learning how to drive because somebody has told many new drivers that they can't do it. And I think that is epidemic in our society of people yeah. telling you, you can't do someone, something conditional. Said, yeah. yeah. The conditioning of you are not enough. Exactly. Because nobody knew how, that's what I try to say to these kids. I go, you can't be upset at your parents. They did not know. And then something happened. See, something happened to all of us, Julia. Zero, still in your mother's belly, till on or around age 13 when the hormones kick in. During those years, that's when your neurological pathways are being developed. So whatever happened or didn't happen during those years sets a pattern for the rest of your life. And the only way it gets better is if you get help. But people don't want to get help. I was one of them. I had it stuck so deep down inside of me, I thought it was buried forever. I went, as my higher power could only do, sends me to this place where I was going to look for a job change and came out and discovered so much about me that I wanted to share it with the world. And it went, and then, and it just kept going. Like, oh, if you had told me five years ago that I don't want to drive in school, right? I, I would say you're out of your mind. It wasn't even on my radar. And I worked at a driving school when I was 15 years old. I think God was trying to tell me when I was 15 years old, this is your path. Didn't know, didn't believe. Yeah. So Control freak, I'm doing it my way. But what's amazing to me is you, you're you still doing the work on yourself. Like, I think that's something that we've talked about. On Always. The, is that it's there's no end destination. It's a constant process constant. of becoming your best version of yourself. Self-actualization. What area out of the seven areas that we've talked about, emotional, relationships, sexuality, work, money, body, spirituality... Where do you feel like you are growing in the most right now or challenged by the most? Challenged? Um, probably in my um, relationships, I think, you know, with my, like what I'm working on now with my own coaches, trying to get my marriage to a better place. See, when I got empowered, I think it scared my husband a lot because he doesn't like change. So now I was changing into something that, 
and so somebody that he wasn't used to, or maybe perhaps he didn't like the change, you know, when I, I, cause I gave up alcohol. I wasn't a big drinker, but you know, I gave up caffeine. I gave this up and that I started meditating. These are all things that he wasn't used to. So I kind of lost him along the way. And so it's been a little challenging there. And I never, and then because of the business and that, there was always a reason why I didn't commit to trying to make it better with him. And I think now I'm really starting to to feel like I could make things more he- healthier. We've taken a trip together for our 30th wedding anniversary. And I feel open to it now. I just feel like I could, you know, that we can communicate a little better. And I think he starts to see that, that you know, we're going to be together for the long haul and, and I, I want to make a go of that and see if we can do that. Because he's a nice person, but I was never able to relate to him on an emotional level, really on a sexual level, on a, an intellectual level, on a spiritual level. level. Like I feel like those things are missing, and that's where I grew so much in all the areas. So, you know, and he's not really that big of a communicator, but you know, it's okay. I, I don't really need everything from him because I can get that from my, from my coach and my friends and, you know, even my, my, I have a sister that's really close to me. So, but, but I'm forgiving with him and I don't, you know, I don't hold him, you know, hostage or captive to do things my way. So I'm just kind of, I think I'm just getting light, lighter. My meditation, mm. the meditation saved my life. What does your meditation practice look like? So what I do is it's one called a primordial sound meditation. It's from Deepak Chopra. So it's the exact sound that was going on at the exact day, date, and time of your birth, which I happen to have known. And Jill, the woman that was my roommate at Omega. Your earth mama. My earth mom. That's the path that she took. She ended up leaving there. And where I came to get empowered with the Empowerment Institute, she went out to Deepak Chopra and got certified in perfect health, meditation, and yoga. And that was what she became, all those three things. So she has a place on Shelter Island in New York. And she also has a place in Connecticut. She, I went there. I drove there. And she gave me the meditation program as a gift uh, so I stayed four days there, and she taught me this this primordial sound meditation. She sent away for my mantra, which is the sound that came in that we keep silent. We don't share it with anyone. And you repeat that mantra every time a thought comes in. Now, I've been meditating now. It's over three years. I do 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night. And you repeat this mantra. But at the beginning... It was horrible. I was like, oh, I have to go food shopping. This one just got me upset today. What am I doing? Always thinking, 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 thinking. I just never thought that I could get through it. A year and a half it took me to slip into the gap, to that place of bliss where nothing is going on. I don't always go in there. I do. It took me a long time to get there, but it's called a practice for that reason. And I try, and I believe it or not, in my five-day program of driver's ed, I ha- I have the kids meditate. 
I'm 16 year old, and sometimes I open my eyes and they're just sitting there meditating. These really some tough. Sometimes I get these little tough knucklehead boys, and they're sitting there with, with like meditating. It's like a beautiful thing. Oh my God, you're so funny. Having these 16 year olds meditate. We only do like three or four minutes. That's but so I just, cool. but I just, I, I introduced it. the meditation program to my little sixteen-year-old knucklehead so that they can calm down their brain. It's just settling down. We the all brain. need it. It's a beautiful thing, and I talk about it all the time. I tell the, the National Safety Council, I go, you all thought you came to a driving class? You were probably all calling going, hey, I don't know where I am. This is some lady here. She's holistic. She's teaching us how to meditate. She's ODD. I don't know. And then at the end, they're just like, wow. And, and I've been getting some coaching clients because of that. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. And the religious said that I teach, 10th grade is like 14, yeah. 15. Been, they come to driver's ed. I didn't know. I've been teaching there for over five years. And I've only had my driving school for two and a half. Did I know that God was setting that up too and setting this up and that and this and this? All because of my little driving. So I'm open to all this stuff. I was like, wow. And things that go wrong. I mean, there are things that go wrong. And I just say, okay, my new attitude, I used to say, oh, why does everything happen to me? What am I doing? I, that's what I used to say. Now I'm like, okay, I need to learn something from this. I'm open. So for listeners who are listening to this and maybe they're not in touch with their higher power yeah. or they don't, they don't feel like that's a part of their path. How would you say though, people can start to maybe work on one of those seven areas or just advice for people on kind of creating more of a space of openness in their life? So that they can actually allow all these beautiful interconnections that are meant to come into their garden and start to growing. Right. Well, I, I, that's a good question. And I actually think it's, it's, you have to invest in yourself. So I think there's like what I did. I mean, I went to a, a retreat. I went to an empowerment s- studio. Come to see me coaching. I can do it too. I think you have the books, you, you, Deepak Chopra. I listened to Joel Osteen, uh, Wayne Dyer, who recently passed away. There's so many books. You have to. Just, you can start with the books. You can go to a retreat. You can go ahead, get a life coach. I think there's just so many. Meditate. Learn. Just you know, read up on meditation. Or I mean, I gave you one with the primordial sound meditation through Deepak Chopra. It saved my life. And you have to be willing to do the work and to change. You have to start saying the I am's. I am amazing. I am. I am free. I am uh, beautiful. I am wonderful. I am creative. I am destined to become something great. I think all that positive stuff, that's the first thing is to get rid of the negative thoughts that we all were conditioned to think about. In life coaching, all we do is help shift the negative thoughts to positive. And so that's so easy to do. And it's five minutes a day. You you repeat your affirmations five minutes a day. Stated in the positive, succinct and to the point. I am amazing. I put up on, and my cleaning lady thinks I'm crazy. I have all these little post-it notes still, and I'm good. All over my mirror, she takes them down, cleans them, <laughs> sticks them all back up again. I put, I am an amazing empowerment life coach. I am an amazing instructor. I am humble. I am wonderful. I am a child of the Almighty God. I just I put all that stuff up there and I read it every day and I'm good. But you need a constant reminder. We need a reminder because you as you need said, a constant reminder. 
when you're a broken person in some ways or when you've dealt with trauma, which I think we all have from childhood, from life, it is a constant journey of healing. Constant. And and then in our, yeah. And you can't forget about that because sometimes we can so easily think like the healing's done, but it's a constant process. Constant. Just like, and then in our workshops, we, we make vision boards at the end. So we have these vision boards. And so I, you know, I bring mine out and I show them and it's whatever you are aspiring to. Like say, if you want to become a lawyer, you just cut out a, the word lawyer somewhere. Like people magazines are the best ones because they always have like different words and captions and pictures and this. If you want to be a nurse, just cut out a picture of a nurse. If you want to drive a Range Rover, just get a picture of a Range Rover, put it on your vision board. It's what you can see. I have on my, the picture of my church with a hundred thousand dollars that's still on my vision board that I would one day want to donate a hundred thousand dollars to my church. It's still on my vision board. The house that I want down the Cape is still on my vision board. And I saw a cousin of mine who's a builder. How's that house coming? I go still on the vision board. It's okay. I'll be coming off soon. You know, it's everything that you want to aspire to or get or feel or do. If you're not as confident as you want to be, put the word confidence and put it on the board. And you have to put it someplace where you see it every day. Constant reminders that you are just moving forward and that we're not living back there. And the analogy of a, the rear view mirror, that's why the rear view mirror is only this big and the window up here is this big because you don't want to be looking backwards. You just want to keep moving forward and forgetting about everything that happened to us in the past. So it's like such a beautiful thing. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap it up. You have been such a messenger in my life in some ways, and I feel so honored to get to have met you through driving lessons, which is kind of crazy. I know. That's like a beautiful thing. Yeah, thank you so much. Spirit work, and you're very welcome. Thank you. Good luck to you. I'm so proud to have you as my friend. Isn't Anna amazing? I feel blessed I've studied with her, not only to learn how to drive, but also to learn how to live, how to listen to the messages in my life, and how to stay in the course even when the path is unclear. If you're in the Boston area and know a teenager that's looking to get their license, or a young adult like myself who didn't get their license till later, check out CS Driving School and request a private session with Anna. Before I sign off for today, two important things to share. First, if you want to win a Wazelle outfit, my favorite clothing company that can be worn for more than just running. It's functional, beautiful, athletic apparel. All you have to do is leave Running On Ohm podcast review on the iTunes store, send a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com or tweet it to at runningonohm. The giveaway ends November 30th and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by December 2nd, 2015. Now my second ask is that all of you share this podcast with one person. Maybe you tell your running buddy, your best friend, your office mate, your mailman, your dog, who knows? I'm committed to publishing two podcasts a week. And in order to keep this up, I need your help in spreading the word about Rue. Whether it's a tweet, Instagram comment, Facebook post, or email, reach out to me. Let me know you tuned in and share this conversation with just one person who's ready to listen to the messages in their life. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.